Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. Due to CDC recommendations, we are live streaming our services until further notice. You can join us online at 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday mornings on our YouTube channel by searching for A10 Sunday Morning, or you can watch this last week's message at area10church.com. For more information, you can visit area10church.com slash now to learn more about what is happening at Area 10 Church right now. We hope to see you back at the Bird Theater again soon. My wife and I got the opportunity to go out for dinner a few weeks ago, and we did this because it had been months that we hadn't gone out. And we're not a family that eats out a lot, but it was like, let's go like to a restaurant where they like bring you food and all that. And we, we, were, we were pretty enthusiastic about getting a chance to get out and do that again after sheltering at home for so long. And we went to a restaurant downtown, and this was phase two. And so we went, we knew we were going to sit outside, which was fine. Um, and we ended up eating at this restaurant, and the whole experience was just like okay. It was a little bit, like you had to order on your phone, not with a server, and they brought it to you, and it felt a little bit like um, ordering takeout and then just eating it like on a park bench or something. Like it wasn't quite the experience of, of eating out that you're, that you're used to with a lot of people and some energy and, and a server like checking in on you and all that kind of thing. So it was just a very different experience. And I thought, this is good, but this isn't quite what I was hoping it would be. So what we started doing over the last few weeks is just having small groups of friends, two or, two or four people come over our house and we've been eating outside and having meals together with some people. And uh, that has been fantastic. Uh, we love the conversation. When you have good food and good friends and you're gathered around and good conversation, just talking about the issues of the day, um, it's, it's enjoyable. And I just thought, oh, this is what I want. This is what, this is what I look forward to is, is that experience, that joy of sharing a meal together. The truth is a good meal when you have friends and conversation and, and good food and, and, and wine or whatever it is, like when you gather together around a meal, um, that's one of the good things in life. That's one of the most enjoyable things. It's not just a symbol of God's goodness in your life. It is God's goodness in your life when you, when you experience that. And so it's no surprise to me that Christian worship actually centered around a meal. Historically, it, it was centered around that because there's, there's so much in a meal when you have it together with, with other believers. And, and there, it's this powerful multi-sensory experience. God places a meal at the heart of, of worship. And so I want to talk about that today and talk about um, communion. And as I've been studying this and looking into the different ways of looking at communion, or, or that bread and juice that we take together, as I've been looking at how it's done historically, I've realized how much the church, at least in the West, has, has strayed from that, how we've moved away from it, and we've sort of gotten off track, and it's really been challenging me about what it could be and should be, and maybe even some different things that we as a church could do going forward. And I've also seen how something about communion and that meal is, could actually be helpful for a lot of the disunity that we're experiencing in the world today, and could be a, a healing thing in our culture, even with all the craziness that's, that's going around right now. I've, I've, I've seen how communion could be helpful for that. So I want to set up the scene of, of, of communion and where it, where it came from. Jesus, uh, the night before he is betrayed, he is going to celebrate 
the Passover meal with his disciples. Now, Passover was a Jewish celebration that continues on to this day, and it was a celebration of how um, the, the Israelites were freed from slavery in, in Egypt when Jesus came along. That had happened, you know, 1,600 years previous to that or 1,400 years previous to that. So they're celebrating that, and they would have different elements, bread and wine, and there'd be these different pieces there to, to uh, celebrate together that the Israelites, they, they're remembering their history. The Jews are remembering their history. We were slaves at once. God set us free. And so they'd have this meal. And Jesus had that meal with his disciples. The, the final week of his life was Passover celebration when, when thousands and thousands of people from all over Israel would come to Jerusalem and they would celebrate and they would make sacrifices at the temple. They would slaughter lambs and things like that at the temple. Um, and they would celebrate this meal. They'd have lamb, they'd have bread, they'd have these things, and they would celebrate this meal together and remember that God had delivered them from slavery. So it was a powerful thing. During that meal with his disciples, Jesus takes the elements of that meal and he reinterprets them and, and, and gives his disciples a new way of thinking about them um, based on their current situation. So I want to pick that up in, in the, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. I want to read 14 through 20. We'll put it up on the screen. This is that, that meal. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus takes that meal and he starts saying some of the normal things they would have thought of about the Passover, and then he starts saying some odd things. He says, man, I've really enjoyed and looked forward to having this Passover with, meal with you before I suffer. And if you're one of his disciples, you were like, before you suffer? Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not the normal script that we do for Passover. Like, that's, that's weird. And then he, then he starts talking about the kingdom of God, that I'm not going to have this again until we're in the kingdom of God together. And, and, and Jesus has been talking about kingdom of God from the beginning, so that might have been more familiar to them, but it was still sort of an odd thing to kind of bring into this, to this meal. And notice a couple details in there. They drank from the same cup. They had a cup of wine. In, in the Passover celebration, you would, you would have uh, different cups of wine, a cup of wine that you would drink at different times throughout the meal. Everybody would share it. They didn't have COVID fears back then. Everybody's sharing out of the same cup. They're just drinking the wine and just passing it around, you know, for, for different reasons that go along with the Israelites' Exodus story. And Jesus takes that wine and says, this is the blood of, 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 my, of the new covenant. This is my blood. And then he takes bread and he tears it and he shares it with them. And he says, this is my body. So there's this reinterpretation of the bread and reinterpretation of the wine. And, and he's making it about him and not necessarily about the Passover story. And it's interesting um, how, how it's done. Uh, he tears the bread Keep in mind that during that time, they don't have like a knife from Costco, you know, like with a serrated edge or whatever. So the way you share that is you're going to rip it and, and pass it around. It's also unleavened bread for the Passover meal. So it would be 
more of a flat bread or, or something without yeast in it, something we would think of like maybe a cracker. Um, and so they'd snap that, and he, and he handed it out and said, you know, share this amongst you. Um, and, and he takes those familiar things, and he says, do these things, do this, is what he says. This is probably the quote you know of, from communion. Do this in remembrance of me. And I actually think we've heard that phrase a lot in church. If you've grown up in church, if you've had communion at all, you've heard, do this in remembrance of me. Usually it's maybe sometimes there's communion furniture at a church and it's written on it, do this in remembrance of me. Um, but I think we've missed a little bit of what he meant there. We think that when he says, do this in remembrance of me, he's talking about juice and a cracker. When the truth is, when he says, do this in remembrance of me, the this is not juice and a cracker. The this is the whole gathering, is the whole meal, is the whole celebration. Um, he's, he's, he's saying, hey, gather together like this and remember me. Yeah, there's going to be wine and bread and those sorts of things, but when you come together, do it, and, and do it as you do it, rem- remember me. Now, we also think remembrance merely means calling to mind something. Oh, I'm going to remember uh, this thing. I, I, I used to know it in the past. Oh, yeah, I remember that again. But it's, it's maybe something a little bit deeper than that. The, the, the remembrance of Christ in this is not just, oh, I remember what he did, but it's something more like the actualized awareness. You have this awareness of his presence in the moment, not just something he did um, in, in the past. In, in fact, communion is this interesting moment in, in worship where we, we look to the past, what Christ did. We think about the future. We reflect on or, uh, the present. We reflect on where we are now with him. And then we think about the future, where we're going. The Apostle Paul hints at this in 1 Corinthians 11 when he describes the Passover meal and how it originally happened. This is what he said as he recounts it later, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul adds this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when we take communion... We're saying, oh, this is something he did in the past. This is, uh, I'm, I'm aware of it now in the moment, in the present, and I'm looking forward to something in the future. I'm proclaiming his death until he comes. Um, past, present, and future all come together. I was trying to think of the perfect analogy for that moment. How do you have this past, present, future come all together? And it made me think of Christopher Nolan films. If you're a fan of Christopher Nolan films like I am, it's Dark Knight Trilogy, Memento, Interstellar, um, he, he often does things with time where he will mess with the timeline or things will go backwards or whatever, like, like jumping through time kind of weird stuff. And I, it made me think of Dunkirk, actually, because in the movie Dunkirk, if you've seen it, it's the story of the British troops leaving uh, France. It's like the story of the greatest retreat, escape, I don't know. They, they're leaving France. And the way he tells the story in the movie is he tells three different stories on different timelines that all intersect in a moment. So he tells the story of the troops over the course of a week. He tells the story of the boats coming across the English Channel to get the troops over the course of a day. And he tells the story of the Spitfire airplanes flying across the Channel to support over the course of an hour. So you have a week, a day, and an hour all coming together in this moment in in the movie. Um, it was kind of a cool thing the way, the way he did it, and you see where all their stories kind of overlap. Um, that's not a perfect analogy, but there, there's something in that about this sort of past, present, future thing coming together when we take communion. Uh, we, we remember what Christ did. We think about our lives now and where we are with him in his presence, and then we think about the future and where it's going and how he's shaping us. Maybe another analogy that might work is 
I've, I've gone to a, a fair amount of recitals of my kids' music over the years and watched them perform. And when you see them perform in front of an audience, you know all of the practice it took to get them to that point because you had to sit in the house and listen to it while they tried to do that same run over and over and over again until they got it. And so a performance, a music performance, and you can say the same thing about sports, but a music performance is a moment where what you're seeing it and you're experiencing it in the present, they're, they're performing the song, but it's actually the culmination of everything they did in the past. Uh, the past is, is, is shows up in that moment and you see, oh, they're doing it. And as you're listening, they're sort of creating a future for you. They, they are creating what your next couple minutes are going to sound like. They're kind of making it in real time uh, happen and, and, and shaping something in, even in your future. And in, in some ways, again, it's not perfect, but in some ways that's a little bit like communion. All these things intersect in that moment, and it can be a powerful thing. Um, Theologian N.T. Wright says it this way, the hardest thing about the sacraments is they invite us to look at time in a different way. The term memorial does not mean merely bringing something to mind or remembering. It refers in some way to bringing that past story and the divine action of the past into the present such that the present audience becomes part of the story and receives the benefit from such actualization. All right, so that's a little bit about what it is, but let's talk about how it is spoken of because uh, communion is called a lot of different things in the New Testament, and each one of them can be instructed. Let me just walk us through them, and then, and then we'll wrap up. Number one, communion is called, in the Bible, communion. Um, it comes from the Greek word koinonia, which is a word for community or fellowship or sharing um, and it is the idea that when we take communion, this is something that we do with the fellowship. This is something that we do as a group uh, together. It's a reminder to us as we take communion that my faith is not my faith alone, that Christianity is not a solo sport. It's a reminder that from, from one flesh, one body, that we take this one loaf of bread and we share it amongst the people. It is a reminder to us that we are, uh, just as a, a little piece of bread is part of a larger loaf, we are, it's a reminder that we are part of this larger thing called the body of Christ. That's why uh, it has been called communion. It's this common union that we have together. Um, we, 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 when we celebrate communion, we tear from the same piece of bread, which is not something we're going to be able to do when we come back together uh, in the Bird Theater in August because uh, sharing from the same piece of bread right now is super unpopular in, uh, in all the current like COVID restrictions. So I'll get to that later. We'll do it a little bit differently going forward. Um, and maybe one of the most frustrating parts for me of shelter at home has been how we can't do things like this together, how we can't come together and celebrate communion. Um, we are, you know, you'll take communion maybe in your home today, um, and, that, and that's good, and I'm glad we're able to do it, but um, it, it, it'll be different when we can actually get together, and, and it can be the common union experience that it's meant to be. Um, and I'm looking forward to August when we can, when we can do that. Um, so number one is called communion. Number two, another name for communion in the New Testament is the breaking of bread. The writer Luke, who writes the book of Luke and Acts, this was maybe his favorite phrase for this. Listen to the way he describes the worship gathering in Acts chapter 2, verses 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
when they got together as a church, they, they came together to, to celebrate uh, what Christ is doing, and they came together to break that bread and, and pass it out. And you think, well, that's kind of a weird reason to come together. I mean, they did all the other things, right? They, they sang, they, they prayed, um, but it was all done around a meal, not just a bread and, and, and wine. It was, it was done around a meal together. It's, it's actually strange how, how, how weird that sounds to us. Like we are so used to, like if I asked you, what does Christian worship look like? Picture it in your head. What does Christian worship look like now? We would think of things like singing, maybe somebody on a microphone, um, maybe people raising their hands and singing. We might think of a guy like me or someone just talking. Um, that's the kind of stuff we think of Christian worship. And if I said, imagine what ancient Christian worship looks like, you might think something like a cathedral with stained glass and um, a priest in robes saying some things and maybe there's like some smells and bells and stuff going on in the room uh, or maybe some chants like a Gregorian chant, that kind of thing. That, that might be like ancient Christian worship. But actually the earliest picture worship that we have is called, is, is from, uh, it's, it's, it's from this, this marble kind of thing underneath a, a, a catacombs kind of thing in Rome. Uh, it's called the Fractio Panis. It's from the second century. I want to put it up on the screen so you can see what it looks like. Um, this is the earliest painting of Christian worship that we have. And it, it, as you can see, it looks like a meal. It's got some people, and it's kind of hard to see, I understand, but it's got some people around a table, and there's bread there, there's a little bit of fish, and there's some, some, a drink there, some sort of goblet. Um, and, and what you're seeing is people gathered around to worship God. That was a worship service back in the day. Um, and that's so different. Now, I realize that in the early church, there were mega churches. The, the, the first Christian church, first time people came together in Jesus, 3,000 people came to Christ. We talked about that in weeks past. 3,000 people were baptized into Christ. So 3,000 people did not gather together around a table. Obviously, they had a, 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 a large gathering where they're coming together, but, but a big part of the worship was that they gathered in smaller groups around the table, which is why, as a church, we gather large, uh, usually in the bird theater, and then we gather in smaller groups around so that we can continue to, to do that. All right, so communion, the breaking of bread. A third name that you've probably heard for communion is the Eucharist, the, the Eucharist. Um, and it's funny, these names for communion, uh, wh whatever one you're used to calling it probably has something to do with the church you grew up in. Um, if you called it the Eucharist, you probably grew up in a church that had a very high liturgical tradition, maybe an Anglican or some sort of Presbyterian church. Um, if you called it communion, it'd be maybe very different. So it's just uh, interesting. But the Eucharist, it comes from the Greek word Eucharista, which is, which is to thanksgiving or being thankful. And so the idea behind calling it the Eucharist is that when Jesus took the bread, it says he gave thanks and then he broke it and shared it. So what we do when we take communion is we're actually giving thanks to God for what he's, what he's doing in our lives. And, and this is an important thing for us to remember. Um, there's so many books right now. There's so much stuff out there written about how gratitude is so important for your mental, emotional, spiritual health. 
And, and I believe that too. I, I think it's a huge thing. And Christians of all people should be dialed into it. We should be dialed into the idea that what we have in life and everything we've experienced really comes from the grace of God. God's grace is a uniquely Christian thing. God's grace means that Jesus died for our sins. Yes, okay, that's God's grace to us, that he provided a way of salvation for us. That's God's grace, that he opens the door to heaven for us. That's grace. But God's grace is so many more things than just that. God's grace is in every breath that you're allowed to have. God's grace is in the sunset that you see at the beach. God's grace is when you see the Blue Ridge Mountains and how beautiful that is. God's grace is when you hear the laughter of a baby and, and you love that. God's grace is when you eat a great meal together. These are all things God has given us, his good gifts towards us. And, and what we as his followers need to do regularly is say, God, I'm so thankful for that. Thank you for giving me that. And, and, and I don't want to ever take that for granted. Because um, you lose sight of God's grace and you lose sight of gratitude when you think you deserve things. And our culture reinforces it, right? How often have you heard, oh man, you deserved that. Oh, good for you. You deserved it. You deserve that car. You deserve that house. You deserve that job. You deserve fill in the blank, right? That's our, that's our cultural worldview is you are some level of a good person and therefore you deserve. And we say, it, we say that to people, particularly in pain, people who are hurting, who are struggling, and then, and then something happens and we go, oh man, that's so good. I'm, I'm glad you deserve to be happy. You know, we say that kind of thing. And I understand that. And there's even quasi-Christian books that say God wants you to be happy because you deserve it. Um, the, but here's the message of scripture that we need to understand. You don't deserve it. That's it. We, you and I don't deserve it. We're not amazing we're not so awesome. The, the, the clear message of Scripture is that you and I are sinners, that we, that we are broken and that we break relationships with God and with others. But not only is that the message that we don't deserve it, the other very strong message in Scripture is that you are loved by God anyway. You are, you are worse than you, are ma- than you can imagine and you are loved more than you could possibly believe. That's the truth of Scripture and the truth of the gospel. Um, we, we are sinners who are loved anyway. And so we need to show gratitude. Look, if you have a child and you say to your kid, hey, I want to take you out. Um, let's go get ice cream. And so you get, get ice cream. And if your kid looks at you and says, thank you for giving me ice cream, I deserve it because I'm so good. Um, you're not going to like giving them ice cream anymore or you're just going to be like, yo, Veruca Salt, like you're grounded or something. You're just going to be like, get over yourself if you think you're getting stuff because you just deserve it, um, that's not how it should work. Gratitude should flow out of us. And so when we take communion in the Eucharist, when we go to that table and take that bread, we are giving thanks. And we're practicing gratitude and saying to God, um, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for all the gifts of grace that you've given me. All right, another name for communion shows up. Um, Number four is this. It's called the love feast. The love feast. This only shows up once in scripture. Jude uh, verse 12 says this. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who only feed themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown among by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. All right, 
we don't have time to get into all that of what he's criticizing, but he calls them, hey, these people are blemishes at your love feast. If you grew up going to a church that calls communion a love feast, you went to a very different church than I did. Um, that's, that's some stuff. Uh, that's, 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 that's not a one we use very often. It sounds very 1960s to me, or it sounds like love feast is like the, the plot of an A24 horror movie or something like, like that is an interesting, uh, an interesting thing. Um, but actually love feast is a term that was used by the early church fathers in the first and second century, uh, quite, quite a bit. And I think the, the love, the word agape, this unconditional love of God, that's a good word, but I think the feast part of it is important as well. Um, a fe- feast is a great word. It, it's a description of this celebratory meal, like we're coming together and we're celebrating this moment, this time, this thing, and we're excited about that and, and we need it. Um, in fact, in the early church, when they came together for communion, it was not everybody gets a little shot of grape juice and a cracker. Um, it was a part in fact, it was almost too much of a party. The Apostle Paul writes about what was going on in the church in Corinth when they came together for their love feast. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, listen to what he says. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in part, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Um, Paul straight straight up here, when when they came together as a church, they had divisions among them. Good thing we've solved that now and we don't have divisions in the church now. Uh, but they, they, you know, it would, it would become a very unjust thing. Some people are eating all the food. Some people are getting no food at all. And Paul's like, this isn't the way this is supposed to be at all. This is a mess. Um, some people were overeating. Some people were, were getting drunk. Good thing we have grape juice now and we've solved that problem that people don't have to get drunk. Um, but when they gathered together, it was supposed to be a celebration, a feast, a, a, a party. And we should have it that way also. And this is one of these things that it feels so far when communion is only somber, when there's no celebration to it, when it's only, oh, you have to be quiet and really think about your sin. Yeah, that's, that, that can be a piece, but we can, we can vary it and, and do some more things with it because it should be a celebration of what God is doing in your life. I love what Philip Yancey says on this. Look, look at this quote from him. This table is different. It isn't where sinners find Christ, but where sons and daughters celebrate being found. Maybe someday instead of solemnity making our way to the tables, we should dance for joy. Maybe we should sing every born again song we know. And maybe we should tell our homecoming stories and laugh like people who no longer fear death itself. Maybe we should ask if anyone wants seconds and hold our little cups high to toast to lost sinners found and dead brothers and sisters alive. When we gather together again, we need to figure that out because I think that that is a a missing piece. There needs to be celebration that goes into this, that God has been good to us. We need to bring the feast back into it. And then finally, um, often in scripture, it is called uh, the Lord's Supper. We just saw that in 1 Corinthians 11. It says this, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. The, the meal is meant to be taken 
um, not, just, not just as a meal. The thing that differentiates communion from just a regular meal is that you are doing this with the Lord, with the Lord in mind, um, as to the Lord, that kind of idea. So it is the Lord's Supper, not just our dinner or something like that. Um, there's actually a, a long history of this. It's called a covenant meal. In the ancient world, there was something called a covenant meal, and you see this in, in Jewish history in the Old Testament, that when people would make a covenant with each other, they would, they would sort of seal that covenant with a meal together. So um, a covenant says, and it's different than a contract. So a contract would say, I will fulfill my part as long as you fulfill your part. If you, if you drop the ball, then I can drop the ball. That's a contract. We enter those all the time in our culture. But a covenant is, I'm in this thing no matter what. I'm in on my side whether you fulfill your side or not. This is why we talk about marriage as a covenant. It's not a contract. Um, a covenant we enter in and say, I'm, I'm in this thing fully. Well, in the ancient world, when you entered into a covenant, and you see this in Genesis 31 between Jacob and a guy named Laban, when you enter into a covenant, you seal that covenant with a meal, often in the temple or something like that. It's supposed to be like we're going to eat together in the presence of the Lord. And so there's this piece of the covenant meal that says, um, I'm, I'm in this thing and I'm recommitting, and I'm, I'm committing strongly here, or even recommitting. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, we are meant to recommit to our faith. Um, we're, we're meant to take it seriously. Yeah, there will be feasting, there'll be celebration, but we're also serious about this and saying, hey, um, we're, we're here because of what God has done for us, and I'm going to recommit my life to him, because I blew it this week, and I'm ready to recommit and get it right. Uh, John Mark Hicks says it this way, when we eat and drink, we renew our covenant with God. We pledge ourselves to keep the covenant. It is a moment of rededication and recommitment. In the context of the worship experience, we voice our commitment to live worthy of the gospel. We vow to take up the cross, call Jesus Lord, and follow him into the world as obedient servants. The supper is the ritual moment when we renew the covenant vow we made in our baptism. We talked about that uh, last week, that, that baptism, we, we make this commitment to God and we follow after him. We put action to our faith. Um, and then in communion, we, it's, it's like a renewal. We, we recommit to that during the Lord's Supper. We say, uh, God, I'm in and, I, and I'm still in. And as I, as I drink this juice and, and eat this bread, I remember the sacrifice you made and I I'm, and I'm renew my vow and my commitment to you. So two conclusions and then we're done. Number one, I think to do this really the biblical way, to do communion right, uh, you'd have to do it in a, in a meal at, in your home. You, we'd have to figure that out. And I'm not committing to a course of action there yet. Um, what I am saying is this is, even in studying this has been challenging to me of how we have moved in the West from uh, a communion meal, a celebration to a juice and a cracker in a service. And um, there are logistics reasons for that. Uh, it's tricky to, to do it in a meal with people. It's tricky um, when the largest gathering you have is that service. Um, it's easier to just kind of do it there. But I, I do think we're missing some things. And so I'm committed to, and the leadership's committed to, thinking and praying about what are some ways we can do this a little differently going forward so that we can recapture the, the, the different angles of communion and to do it well. Um, and, then, and then here's the second piece that I, I really take away from this. And you may have caught this in there and you, you may, may not have, but I think um, communion, the gathering, is a way to bring about more justice in the world. And this is 
what so many people are clamoring for right now, that we want justice and there needs to be justice. And, and I get it and I, and I understand why, why people are asking for it and, and there's work that needs to be done, no doubt. Um, but where communion fits into that is I think communion is a great leveler of people, rich or poor, whatever color, background, ethnicity, whatever group you come from, we all come to that table and we are the same before God. We are all sinners in need of God's grace. And it doesn't matter what your background experience was, uh, you're coming through Jesus to God. And, and so, and, and really in the ancient world, that, in the early church, it was a leveler of people. There were, there were rich and poor, young and old, different cultures coming together around Christ, very much so in the Roman Empire, uh, very much pulling different groups together. And they came together with this common union. We are brothers and sisters because we have this in common. And I think if we can get back around tables, we can do that as well here in our culture. And it's very easy to say of an ethnic group or a race or, a, or an economic group or, or some other group in society, it's very easy to otherize those people to say, oh, those people over there, they're different than me. Um, they, they, those people live over here. They, they act in a different way than I do. It's very easy to do that. It's a lot harder to do it when they're around your table because then it becomes real to you. Uh, you, you've probably heard people say like, oh, those people over there. And then one of those people over there is like in your social circle at the time. And, you, and you're like, oh, they all do this. And, th and then you turn to that person who's one of those people and you go, not you though, you're different. You're not like those people. Like I get why people say it, but the truth is your friend is not just the exception to those people. Your friend is one of whoever those people are. Um, and the more of them you meet, the more you realize, oh, this isn't an exception. Maybe my stereotypes of those people are, are wrong and, and could change. And this is where I think coming together around this communion meal is so powerful. The opportunity to sit, when you share that food, when you share that life together, you realize, hey, we're, we're the same. And I, and I want to meet more people that are not like me and have us come together with this common bond, this common union together. And you start seeing people as equals. This was true in the early church. It's part of the reason Christianity spread so well in the Roman Empire, um, and I think it can be true today, and I hope that the church can lead the way. We can throw more parties, we can have more celebration, and we can people together um, and, and, and start seeing each other as, as, as all children, sons and daughters of God, made in the image of God. So we're going to take communion together uh, as, as, a, as a group, um, even though we're in separate homes. Um, but what I want to do is the, the band's going to lead us a song, we'll sing, and then when that's done, I will have communion elements ready, and we will all just take it together, so I'll lead that for you sort of here on camera, um, and then we'll, we'll do that, and then we'll wrap up, answer any questions, and, uh, and, and just give you a couple announcements, so uh, let's pray, and then we'll sing. God, thank you so much for the, the, the very tangible symbols of communion, the bread and the wine that represent your body and blood. Um, God, as we sing, and then as we take those elements together, may we remember, and, but may it be very real to us in this moment that you are real to us and that you are uh, shaping our future. Uh, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.